is Arif Katra, and I'm the host of Voices Worth Listening To. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about diversity, stories that I hope will make you think and reflect on how we experience each other's differences. My goal is to encourage change in our individual perspectives and in the ways in which we live and work together. The question I hope to tackle in today's episode of Voices Worth Listening To is what can organizations do to create more inclusive and equitable workspaces for gay men and women? Of course, some of what I will share today will also apply to people who are bisexual, transgender, and those who identify alternatively. I remember in 1994 when the Clinton administration put into law Don't Ask, Don't Tell. The intent of the law was to allow gay men and women to serve in the U.S. military, directing everyone involved to not ask, not tell, not pursue, and certainly not harass. The military leadership revolted. They felt having openly gay members in the ranks would reduce morale and decrease the effectiveness of the men and women protecting the country. The result was a compromise law that said gay women and men could remain in the military as long as they remain in the closet. The result? Well, between 1994 and 2008, more than 12,000 gay men and women were discharged from the U.S. military for being openly gay. However, in 2010, the law was repealed, and it became almost impossible to expel gay men or lesbian women from the military simply for expressing their sexuality. A right afforded to straight men in the military since 1775, and straight military women since 1917. That's 200 plus years for straight men, and 100 plus years for straight women, and a little less than 12 years for gay men and women. Now that is a cataclysmic example of inequity. This U.S. military example confirms every fear gay men and gay women have of revealing and expressing their sexuality. The fear of rejection, mistreatment, the loss of a sense of belonging, and in professional contexts, the loss of the opportunity to earn a livelihood. But you may be thinking, okay, it's not 1994, it's 2022, and being gay is totally acceptable. The CEO of Apple is gay, the CEO of Dow Chemical is gay, and the CEO of Land O'Legs, you know, the butter company, is a lesbian. Things have changed. I thought so too. But when you look around, things aren't as open as they may seem. For example... It was only a few weeks ago that the U.S. Supreme Court ordered Yeshiva University in New York that it had no choice but to recognize LGBTQ student groups on campus. The reaction of the university to the ruling? Well, they shut down all undergraduate clubs on campus. Unbelievable, right? No, it's right out of the Racism and Discrimination Handbook. It's exactly what the city of Jackson, Mississippi did 50 years ago when they had to allow black and white children to swim in the same public pools. They shut down all public pools in the city. Here's another example. About a year ago, the Supreme Court heard a series of cases. 
The first case was brought by Gerald Bostock, a child welfare coordinator for Clayton County, Georgia, who said he was fired after he joined a gay recreational softball league. The second case? By Donald Zara, who claimed he was fired for being gay, leaving him without medical insurance as he suffered through prostate cancer. And the third case? By Amy Stevens, who worked for six years as a male funeral director in Livonia, Michigan, and was fired after coming out as transgender and then coming to work as a female. Okay, but here's what's jaw-dropping. The employers, in 2021, in their case, tried to claim that discrimination based on sexual orientation was not discrimination at all. The court? Well, they didn't buy it, and they sided with the plaintiffs. But here is what these stories remind us of. Being treated differently because you're gay is a real issue, and it's alive and well in many, if not most, organizations. This is confirmed in the dozens of conversations I've had with gay women and men about their professional experiences at work. So before we can talk about how to create an inclusive work environment for gay men and women, we have to deal with the sad reality that most leaders and organizations today don't understand why gay men and gay women specifically bring unique value to their organization. So let's deal with the following question. Why should your organization want to hire and retain gay men and women? For those of you who are engaged with the issue of DEI in the workplace, you're familiar with the kind of thinking that supports diversity at work. It goes something like this. Because we have a diverse set of employees, they are likely to bring different ideas and ways of working to the table. And that, in turn, will likely be very beneficial to the organization's success. And finally, four. These innovations differentiate us and allow us to create more loyalty and buy-in from our customers or users. In a nutshell, because I'm different, I'm likely to bring different ideas and ways of working to the table that may be very beneficial to my organization's success. However, often in organizations, leaders struggle to value those differences. So let's start by exploring where these differences come from. Do they come from the color of someone's skin or because they're gay? No, they come from the experiences that these people have lived through because of their racial differences, cultural differences, and or differences in sexual orientation. Lived experience is what makes gay men and women valuable in the workplace. You know, as a gay man, I didn't come out until my early 40s. People of my generation didn't come out in high school. A few in university, and most in their 30s. I was late. Likely because I wasn't only gay, I was, and still am, Indian and Muslim. For me, coming out was complex. Living in the closet for almost 40 years and outside for 10 has changed how I think in ways that are very permanent. How? First, inclusion is my baseline. It's something I think about in every decision I make, not purposefully, but innately, because I know what it's like to be excluded. I'm patient when it comes to differences. I'm strategic and willing to bring people along because being accepted when you come out is not like it is on TV. 
It's a process that requires you to listen, be patient, work with the people you love, and sometimes support them on their journey to acceptance. The result? I'm not afraid to take on impossible challenges and be uncomfortable. I mean, think about the number of tenured business faculty you know who leave high-paying jobs to be podcast hosts. I'm not saying the decisions are always great, but they are authentic, and they are certainly unique. My lived experience has taught me that difference is required. Without it, organizations are at a significant disadvantage. As a gay man who spent most of his life in the closet, I can tell you that now that I'm out, how I think about difference is hardwired into my brain. I believe differences need to be expressed and they cannot be hidden. Difference is a need for organizations and not simply a nice to have. My brain changed in my 40 year coming out process. And when I make decisions now, DEI is central. It's fundamental to how I make decisions. If you've been paying attention, I'm arguing that gay men and women matter in organizations because their brains are hardwired differently. Not from birth, but from lived experience. They have a level of neurodiversity that is not a function of nature, but a function of nurture allowing them to more directly bring new perspectives to a company's efforts to create and recognize value. You might be thinking, okay, I see how gay men and women matter in the organization, but most organizations have gay employees, managers, and leaders. So what's the problem? The problem is respect, credibility, and a willingness to create an enabling environment for gay employees to feel comfortable enough to bring themselves to the table. And the truth is, we're just not there yet. Here is what the Center on American Progress found in their research. Approximately 15 to 45% of LGBTQ people suffer some form of discrimination on the job. 10 to 20% have been passed over for a job or been fired because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. 10 to 30% receive negative performance evaluations because they're gay. This data highlights the key challenge. Most organizational leaders don't behave as though they believe in the value of lived experience. Certainly not when it comes from someone from the LGBTQ plus community. Let me share with you Colleen's story. Colleen is an openly gay woman who is the head of social media marketing for a global food company. They're planning to introduce a new healthy food snack into the Brazilian market. One of the founders of the company, who's now passed away, came from Brazil. And the company wants to leverage that play on authenticity. The content that has been produced for the ads to promote the snack were commissioned by the CEO and the VP of marketing with little consultation. Colleen and other senior members of the marketing team were just not part of the design process. Nonetheless, Colleen is invited to the ad agency's final presentation. The key members of the marketing VP's team are in the room. As the ads are presented, Colleen becomes very concerned. 
The ads showcase non-Brazilians, only white people, in tourist venues across the country enjoying this healthy food snack. Colleen has three concerns. One, it feels like the ads are appropriating Brazilian culture. Two, the ads tend to frame whiteness and straightness as aspirational. And three, the ads demonstrate very little understanding of the target market, which likely means this multi-million dollar campaign has a high chance of failure. The agency completes their presentation, and the VP of Marketing tells them, Look, we want to launch soon, so let us digest the presentation and schedule a feedback meeting in a few days. Once the agency staff leave the boardroom, the senior team starts their discussion. When it's Colleen's turn, she speaks up about her concerns. And Colleen qualifies her comments with, I think we need to discuss these topics from the lens that they may hamstring us from achieving our sales targets. Rather than inviting a discussion, the VP's reaction is anger. He immediately says to Colleen, I think your perspective is skewed and frankly overly sensitive and extremist. I don't think given your background, you're in a position to be objective. Colleen is white, comes from privilege, went to an Ivy League school, just like every other member of the VP's team. But the difference is that Colleen is openly gay. In fact, this wasn't the first time Colleen had noticed ads that promote exclusion. But this time was different. Why? See, Colleen felt that after two years at the company, she had the credibility to speak up. In fact, only a few months ago, she had received a global award recognizing the work she had done as head of social media to help the company increase its sales by 5% last year. Sales that had been flat for over three years. But her concerns were not even discussed. Instead, they were dismissed by the VP and her colleagues. I asked Colleen, who didn't want me to use her voice, to explain. She said, They saw it as me calling them out on the carpet. They saw it as an attack versus something we should discuss to make sure we're making the right business move. I've had this happen to me a lot in my career. Speaking truth to power when you're a straight white male is perceived as thoughtful, insightful, and forward-thinking. When you do it as a gay person, the result is more often than not you being perceived as a complainer and losing any power you may have had. Colleen explained to me how this had a ripple effect on her career. I couldn't stay, Arif. I became a target for ridicule. I was framed as a DEI activist, and dismissing my opinions or not including me in pivotal marketing meetings became a regular practice. When I got COVID, my VP literally said to me that I'm being weak and need to get back to work. I asked Colleen how it made her feel. It made me question my core. Maybe I wasn't that talented. Maybe the increase in sales had nothing to do with my efforts. Maybe my professional achievements have all been lucky. The truth is, the number this played on my mental health began to show up physically, and I knew I had to get out. It wasn't easy, but I finally left. Colleen's story demonstrates that still today, 
In the workplace, gay men and women are perceived as easy targets. Despite being promoted to former leadership positions in the organization, they often still carry a second-class citizen status with colleagues and even their direct reports. And this prevents many gay professionals from bringing their authentic and complete selves to the decision-making table. And that, well, that hurts the organization. Let me share with you John's story. John was one of my MBA students from a few years ago. He's gay, and in his words, I know people look at me and put me in a box. I'm gay. I'm effeminate and a big muscle dude without the voice to go with it. John tells me a story about how he started his career working for one of the largest real estate multinational companies in the world. He had done well at the company and qualified for getting help with paying for his MBA. This benefit wasn't guaranteed and based solely on the recommendation of your supervisor. But John was a superstar and easily received the recommendation. John had received almost $25,000 in benefits and was almost halfway through his MBA. The chief technology officer of the company was going to visit John's department and his boss had scheduled 30 minutes after lunch for John to meet with the CTO to present a new and innovative HR tracking system that John's team had been working on. The CTO arrived at 8.30 a.m. for an all-managers meeting. He wanted to get to know the team and engaged in an hour of introductions. He was kind, generous, and took the time to interact with everyone who introduced themselves. Well, except John. When John introduced himself, the CTO got his back up. He was uncomfortable. He didn't want to engage with John. A few hours after the meeting ended, John's boss sent him a message letting him know that she would present the HR project to the CTO herself, and John wasn't required at the meeting. A week later, the same boss reluctantly and sheepishly announced to John that the company would no longer support his MBA. She was Asian and a woman. She knew exactly what was going on. She likely experienced it many times in her own journey to senior management, and she was visibly sad to deliver the message. And to add insult to injury, the company insisted that John pay back the 25000 they had already contributed. No explanation. Of course, that's illegal in most states and provinces, but John paid the money back. He was freaked out. I asked him if this kind of dismissive treatment had happened to him again in his career. He said, sure. Didn't it happen in your class, Arif? He was right. It did. I remembered how other executives completing their MBAs would discount John. They would not take his contribution seriously and how he was the last to be picked for group work. Weirdly, Some even convinced themselves that John was attracted to them and were angered by it. I asked him, how do you deal with it all? John explained, first, I'm used to straight men being angered by my gayness. He was right. In fact, it's pretty common and grounded in research. A recent study by two universities in Georgia involving 300 straight men with varying prejudice levels against homosexual men 
found that the higher the prejudice level a straight man has against gay men, the more likely he is to be angered by gay stimuli, like an openly gay man. John continued, But you're asking, how do I deal with homophobia at work? The same way you have, RF. I leave and find better opportunities. I don't sue. I may argue and try to be heard, but in the end I move on. And I try not to think about how almost nobody supported me or stood up for me before I left. John's story demonstrates that talent is still something most senior managers don't actually understand. Talent is not simply technical or based on work experience. Talent comes from years of doing, experiencing, changing, redoing, and learning. Your lived experience, whether people feel comfortable or angered by it, is at the center of what makes you talented. Keeping John from presenting his project or not finding his continued education or laughing at him in class demonstrates a categorical misunderstanding of what talent is and disrespecting its roots. For John, being gay is a big part of what roots his talent. Let me tell you one last story. This is Kyle's story. Kyle is an out gay man working for a large American nonprofit organization. In many ways, in his younger years, Kyle espoused the same ideals that most of us have good career, stable and loving relationship, strong community ties, and solid family connections. But as a gay man, these ideals don't always work out the way they do when you're straight, in a predominantly straight world. See, Kyle spent most of his professional life in khaki pants and a light blue shirt. He had honed the art of being straight passing. Kyle explains, See, RF, most people didn't think I was gay. And like many young gay men, I saw this as a personal achievement. But as I look back to that time, I realized that this was not simply my decision. Being straight acting in my professional life came with much more credibility than being thought of as potentially gay. Kyle goes on to explain, But with age came a level of dissatisfaction with the mask. I was not only ignoring my identity, but I'd become reluctant to explore that identity. But that changed. In fact, I remember the first time I tried drag. It was freeing. I was scared to death, but it was freeing. It was like going skydiving. Something inside me changed. I wasn't the light blue shirt, cocky pants wearing gay man at work. And I have no problem with those who are, but it just wasn't me. And pretending was weighing on my mental health. What I didn't realize at that time was that it was also weighing on my career progression. I felt like I was dressing like someone else. I'd also begun to think like someone else. I would second-guess my creative ideas. I'd be careful to never be too out of the box in my thinking. And I assumed a risk-averse stance in all of the decisions I made at work. The result was a few small promotions, mostly laterally, here and there from one regional office to another. However, when I started being me, when I dressed the way I wanted and expressed myself in a way that was more authentic, my work opened up and my talents became clearer to those around me. Certainly, there was pushback, but I flourished and I got noticed in the huge nonprofit I had worked for so long. So much so that I was promoted to the national office to be on the core team of the VP of Marketing, another gay man, 
By this time, Kyle was openly gay at work, and many of his co-workers have been to his occasional drag shows on the weekend. Kyle's story continues. One summer day, Kyle wore a short suit. It's like a regular men's suit, except instead of slacks, it comes with shorts. It's elegant and professional, but a little out of the ordinary. Kyle's boss, the gay VP of marketing, let's call him Ian, freaked out. Kyle explains. He was up in arms. He summoned me to his office and said, You look really unprofessional. You need to dress more appropriately for work. Kyle said, I don't understand. The shorts are not short, and aside from the skin on my calves, nothing else is showing. He said to Kyle, This isn't one of your drag shows. This is an office, and what you're wearing is completely inappropriate. Kyle continued to explain himself. Look, everyone's been really complimentary of the suit. It's just a suit. His boss warned him. You're rocking the boat, Kyle. Do that on your own time. Change, or I'll get rid of you. Kyle's boss was gay, but barely out at work. You know, don't ask, don't tell. He was about ten years older than Kyle, and deathly afraid that being gay meant being less credible. Gay people spend a great deal of time fearing being perceived as less credible, craving acceptance, and thirsting for respect. Not unlike straight people. However, gay men and women have different lived experiences. They've likely been told since birth that being gay is being less. It's wrong, and it's not normal. This internalized homophobia can have devastating results. The day Kyle wore the short suit was pivotal for him. His boss began treating him differently. He was more hostile, more ready to put his ideas down, less willing to listen, and he clearly began the passive-aggressive process of removing Kyle from his core team. Kyle calls this internalized homophobia K-on-gay crime. It's a real outcome, especially in professional contexts that are simply not very accepting of differences like homosexuality. So what can you do as a leader and manager to create a more inclusive LGBTQ environment? And before you say, my organization is fine with gay people, let's look at the data. In Canada, 1% of all working professionals report daily experiences with workplace discrimination. For LGBTQ employees, that number is five times greater. Over a year, 3% of all Canadian working professionals report experiences with racism. That number is 10 times larger for LGBTQ employees. U.S. Census data shows that over the last five years, unemployment among same-sex couples versus opposite-sex couples is 10% higher. Finally, research from the Center for American Progress reported that one in four LGBTQ people remove things from their resumes that may lead to an employer thinking they're gay. And almost 30% of LGBTQ people don't apply for jobs they're fully qualified to do because they believe they're going to face discrimination. So what can you do to change these realities and create a more LGBTQ-inclusive context? 1. Hiring people from the LGBTQ community is not enough. To create an inclusive work environment, Leadership has to communicate a strong, explicit message on the importance of LGBTQ inclusion to all its employees. The leadership stance around acceptance has to be clear and well-communicated. Today, 
less than half of the leadership teams in Canadian and U.S. companies send this message of inclusion to their employees. Two, messaging is key, but it's not enough. Leaders need to play an active role in identifying challenges to LGBTQ inclusion. Challenges could include things like LGBTQ candidates not being hired in certain teams in the organization, or being hired more into frontline positions than managerial positions, or remaining as temporary employees for much longer than their straight counterparts. With this information in tow, leaders need to resource and support development roadmaps to change. 3. Leaders must ensure your company's benefits are relevant to all employees. Leaders must ask, are the company's parental leave benefits gendered, thus making LGBTQ employees feel they don't qualify? Do your benefits cover drugs for HIV and AIDS, including PrEP? Are transition costs covered? 5. Do you equip members of your leadership team to understand the challenges faced by LGBTQ people in professional contexts? Only 14% of leadership teams in Canada have received this kind of training. And finally, six, does your organization support the formation of LGBTQ equity resource groups? And are these resource groups given physical meeting spaces, funding to support community building, and resources to develop business plans that will help the organization make the necessary changes to be more inclusive? Being gay at work is not easy especially in a don't-ask, don't-tell culture where inclusion is not really given much thought. As a young gay person, you spend your whole childhood fearing coming out and not being accepted, only to graduate into a professional life where hiding your sexuality is easier than being you. As leaders, we can do much better. I hope you'll join me again in a few weeks by subscribing to the podcast, and I especially hope that today, the time spent listening to this podcast made you feel that this was a voice worth listening to. If you would like more information about my work in diversity and strategy, please visit my website at www.strat-ology.com. That's S-T-R-A-T dash O-L-O-G-Y dot com. The music in this podcast is from the Toronto Tabla Ensemble. To find out more, visit torontotabla.com. That's the word Toronto and the word Tabla, T-A-B-L-A dot com. (laughs) 